This is an Area Code podcast. And I think the thing with Citizen Sleeper is it's about what it feels like to be exposed to chance. There's a direct correlation between having very little money and also struggling with depression or health or disability and it just like one of the main things it does to you in your life is it just makes you far more exposed to chance than a lot of other people hi everybody i'm richard clark and you're listening to video game feelings a podcast about the way video games can make us feel and the people who make and play them today on the show gareth damian martin the sole developer behind the recently released video game citizen sleeper Sleeper came at just the right time, and as soon as I started reading the early reviews, I knew it'd be a game I was interested in. I have this weird fascination with narratives that pair dystopian futures with existential ponderings, and, and here was a game that was earning raves, not just for its simple but evocative systems, but also for its deeply human and grounded writing. In the last couple of weeks, Gareth Damian Martin has been doing a lot of press, spending a lot of time talking about their game with people. And one of the things that I noticed is the degree to which this game is personal for them. And yet at the same time, they made a game that articulates a near universal human experience. It's a game about living in a very different world with a lot of the same existential conditions we're facing now. Or at least I think we are, I know I am. I don't know, am I the only one consistently asking myself what my worth is? Am I the only one who reacts to anxiety by working harder? Am I the only one who copes with the way things are by falling into sort of a default feeling of nihilism every now and then? Am I the only one whose natural reaction to losing control is just to give it up altogether? I don't know, Citizen Sleeper got to me, because it made me think, maybe I'm not the only one, maybe I'm not alone. I think that's why I was so excited to talk to Gareth, not just about their game, but about how they've learned to cope, and even thrive under exactly these kinds of circumstances. You've had a you've had a pretty uh, intense week. It feels like a week or so. Yeah, I mean, I launched a video game. It's always an intense <laughs> week. So yeah, well, no, I've been it's a- I've been following the discourse a little bit, and then your Twitter, and it seems like things are going maybe better than you expected. Is that is that fair to say? Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that yeah. is quite fair. The it you never know. Um, I did have some good, very good feedback in advance of. Mm. the game coming out but you just don't know you don't know if people are being nice or if you know they're wrong (laughs) about Uh your game um so yeah yeah what was was, the can you talk about what that feedback was early well someone said that um that the game was uh better the best game they played this year apart from elden ring so wow that's yeah that's pretty good feedback and some I, more people have said that since release so but you never know pre-release if that's true i should do uh full disclosure here i asked you on the to this podcast basically when i started reading reviews and then and then i got to play it i like it a little better than elden ring like it is <laughs> i'm sort of in love with this game and i'm a little shocked because i was overwhelmed by i'm sure you get that a lot like a little overwhelmed by the systems and like the framing of the systems and all of that up front, but about 30 minutes to an hour in, it has been like a, a huge part of my life for the last week, you know, in a really good way that feels really satisfying. It has given me a feeling I haven't felt since Kentucky Route Zero when I was playing that game, um, which that game, like in particular, like just hit me in a place on a personal level in a way that I couldn't quite articulate at the time and this this has done that for me so as i i just felt like i should say that up front not so much to flatter you as to uh just tell people where i'm coming from as we have this conversation i'm really fascinated by this game and i i don't necessarily want to talk about this game for the whole episode and we have 
ways to make sure that doesn't happen. <laughs> but I do want to just like throw that out there. I think a lot of what I want to talk about about this game is like, and really what the podcast is about, especially when I talk to developers, is like the emotions around this game and the making of this game and the process of this game. But first, we always open the podcast with a very specific question, which is what have you been playing lately and how has that game made you feel? Yeah, I cheated slightly and listened to some episodes of this podcast, so I, I knew this one was coming. But the nice. problem is I, I still haven't been playing video games. So sure, yeah. That's the, that's but I did, I did, I have been playing a little bit. I've been trying to get myself back into The Witch Queen, into back into Destiny 2, um, mm -hmm. which is mm -hmm. like the game that I play the most of every year. I don't know how I feel. I feel a little bit excited because I'm... I think that the the design of Destiny 2 is kind of slightly influential on In Other Waters um, in weird ways. And I think I have this habit of taking bits of design from AAA games right. rather than being inspired necessarily always by indie games. I quite often just like take a, a tiny bit or like one section of a AAA game and that I feel could be an entire video game in itself. That's in, in a way like my first game In Other Waters was kind of like that. So... The, one of the reasons I'm playing Destiny 2 again is because I'm thinking about how stories continue and I'm thinking about how I'm going to continue the, the story of Citizen Sleeper post-launch. And so, yeah, that's quite exciting to play that and think like, oh, I could try some of these ideas. So you're getting it for like inspiration for like continuing the Citizen Sleeper story, essentially. Yeah, I think so. I mean, also, I'm just Destiny is like a, it's like, a kind of meditative practice for me at this point because I oh, I, yeah. I turned the HUD off recently to take some screenshots and then I would just kept playing the game and I realized I don't actually need the HUD in that game anymore. Huh. I I just I don't even need a crosshair on the screen. My my brain is just so used to playing it that <laughs> so yeah it's quite good for playing while you listen to a podcast um, or yeah. something like that. So yeah, that, it's just kind of like a thing to do with my hands which I always need. So yeah, yeah that's another that's cool. another reason. Our previous episode is with Kirk Hamilton, and he talked a little bit about Destiny. And, and what's clear to me is that he has a pretty tortured relationship with it. He, he feels very extreme feelings on both ends about Destiny. Is that something that you resonate with? Yeah, I think I'm well past that now. I was more of a games critic. I'm still a games critic, really, but I was more of a games critic back when Destiny came out. And I wrote a very extensive piece about the first ever expansion for the first destiny and mm. how it resembled neoliberal structures in late capitalism how mm. it exposed players to extreme risk to precarity how it created currencies that fluctuate and how it created a system where the value of things was never clear despite the amount of time you invested in them so you know in, in that game you might have a ton of a material back destiny one was terrible for that you'd have a ton of a material and then all of a sudden it, it would become incredibly useful for upgrades or yeah. on the flip side you would be like grinding something and then it would turn out that they would change everything and it would be basically useless to do that. And it, there was, there's so many horrible, horribly balanced structures in Destiny, but yeah. I really loved that world and that story. And so from the beginning, I was kind of tied to it. And so I think that's why a lot of people have that fraught relationship. So I definitely went through that phase, but that phase was like way back when, and that, that piece is like incredibly extensive and goes into like a lot of theory about neoliberal economies, entrepreneurship, and, and kind of that as a focus for society. So yeah, I've definitely been there, but I'm not there anymore. These days, I'm just, I'm there for the for the seasonal structure and, and something to do with my hands. I, I am interested in that because I do want to know, like, when you come across that kind of structure where you're like recognizing these similarities to late stage capitalism and all these things, uh, do you... How does that actually, like, how does that make you feel? Does it have the same emotional effect that living <laughs> in this world has? <laughs> Are you sort of like emotionally repelled by it in that way? I guess both attracted and repelled is probably the, the as you'd expect, because I'm a, yeah, I'm a game designer. And so I do have a tendency to be attracted by systems, even if they're horrible ones. And I think the, yeah, so... I think when I recognized stuff, yeah, I was repelled, but also I was fascinated enough to write like an extensive piece about it, right? And then also I'm really interested in the design in Destiny 2. I think the, or Destiny 1 as well. Like the, I think there's so many weird 
design things in those games and they're just fascinating they're like it's like watching people spitball ideas for how to make like reinventing the the mmo as a as a concept without paying attention to what mmos have previously done i mean at some point that that changed and they started bringing in more traditional structures but right at the beginning it was wild it was like some crazy design ideas getting thrown around i think like the thorn quest which is quite famous where you find like a gun that is an item in your inventory and it has like using its text description it like asks you to maybe it's a quest but like asks you to kill people for it and then it gains power by you (laughs) killing people with certain weapons and eventually it like grows into a gun essentially it's such a cool use of an incredibly limited set of tools to Mm -hmm. tell a story and that's kind of what i'm talking about when i think about what i do and also taking inspiration from triple a games i really like when i see triple a designers like being given it's obvious that the narrative or quest designers have been given a set of tools by the systems designers and then they try to do something quite weird that stretches the edges of that structure and the thorn quest is one of those for me it's like you can really see that the narrative designer wanted to try and do something um and i think it resulted in something pretty cool I want to do like a little game before we move on. And I, I want this is centered around Citizen Sleeper. One of the things that struck me as I was playing it and also just listening to various podcasts about it is how comparable it is to so many different things. <laughs> it feels like it has a lot of influences. And the game I want to play is basically I want you to tell me if I'm going to read, I'm going to just say the name of something and you say yes, no, or maybe. And the maybe would be like, I I have actually uh, experienced that thing. It could have bled into the game, right? Yes would be like, I had this in mind. And then no would be like, I don't think I know what that is or have paid attention to it. So the first one is Disco Elysium. Yes. Station 11, the book. I, no, I don't think so. No. Interesting. Okay. Civilization? No. The video game. Okay. Station 11, the, the television show. No. I don't know what Station 11 is, sadly. Sorry. Interesting. Okay. Severance? No, weirdly. Yeah. No. That one That one is really interesting because like, there was a moment in the game where I was like, oh, this is Severance. It just helped me all of a sudden like I was like aware of that concept like aligned perfectly in a way. In terms of the ethical implications, you know. Um, yeah, I think it's that's kind of like people having the same idea at the same time kind of situation. You know, like yeah. the way that Blade Runner and, and William Gibson's like Neuromancer kind of happened at exactly the same time. And also Akira kind of happened at the same time as well. I think right. sometimes there's something in the water. Yep. 80 Days. That's the video yes. game. Yes. Yeah. Awesome. Stardew Valley. No. No. <laughs> <laughs> that one's from me. That one, I was like, you know, actually, when you think about it, there are some celebrities, some yeah, I, similarities I get it. there. I yeah. definitely get it. Maybe, maybe Har- Harvest Moon might be a maybe, but I've never yeah. played Stardew Valley. I had had Harvest Moon on the Game Boy when I was a kid, and I probably, I, I have strong memories of the cow sprites from that game, but that's about it. Nice. I think was the the reason I thought of Stardew Valley is maybe has everything to do with the way I chose to play this game, which is like <laughs> loving Emis so much, wanting to go back to him and just like eat all his food and hear all the stories and like just get to know everyone um, and just live in that space, you know. Um, and then the last one I've already mentioned, which is Kentucky Route Zero. I am curious about that. Yeah, I think so. But that's more of a maybe in terms of mm-hmm. direct influences. I mean, I yeah. just love kentucky route zero and and what they tried to do with that game but i would like in a way i i don't know how many other people can make games like kentucky route zero i think they they also had an incredible opportunity somehow or they were incredibly stubborn or something happened there's some kind of magic that must have happened there because i don't know how you get away with doing that like (laughs) making a essentially an art project and then it being a successful video game is very tricky territory well it's it, it is wild like um and and it's spanning over 10 years or something yeah, and, exactly. and somehow telling the story of those 10 years as it's spanning 10 years like on accident like yeah, i right. remember like the the patreon you probably know this but the patreon was really not for that game <laughs> like it, <laughs> the, it was for a different game it was like some side scrolling uh platformer with narrative elements or something if i remember correctly and it just sort of turned into this other thing oh yeah the kicks the kickstarter right yeah like the original kickstarter that's right kickstarter wild yeah it's 
it's it's like got this video that's completely different all these weird doll like people like in a yeah and it was it has like no information on it which is crazy and they got funded <laughs> and for not much money it's like yeah the world has changed a lot since since then yeah yes uh, it, the whole thing like the that's one of those games where like the way that game was made is an art project in and of itself it feels like um, oh totally to think about it is like wild. One of the things I wanted to talk to you about was I, I sort of dipped in briefly to your talk at the the Ludo Neurocon fireside chat. I saw you mention that this game was somewhat about, if not largely about, living with depression and what comes with that. I resonated with that a lot, like a switch flipped in my brain. This may be the reason I actually like the game as much as I do. That feeling of like not knowing what you're working with every day as you wake up is something I've struggled with to different degrees over the past several years, probably my whole life, but have become aware of it in the last several years. To what degree is this game about, like fundamentally about living with depression or some form of mental illness so this is a tricky kind of road to toe i think Mm. because it's kind of in from some senses it's very much about that and certainly that's a that's one of the things from my life which is present in the game i think there's other things which come in there I think uh, on the internet, we often talk like we know lots, we know all the uh, descriptors for ourselves. Like we're all Magic the Gathering cards and we've got like statuses and we can just read them off, right? We can just say like, oh yeah, I'm depressed or I'm neurodivergent or non-binary or disabled or any of these things. But obviously the experience, I think, especially people maybe who don't feel they relate to those things, maybe they don't know that the experience of those things doesn't resemble the way of saying them out loud so i guess that Mm. i feel like depression is a factor but it's a factor in so much as it's a big part of my life the more i've spoken to people i've been doing a lot of podcasts and talks lately and speaking Mm. to people and people keep bringing up things that connected very deeply with them and so for example someone recently brought up how much the game is about bodies and how much bodies suffer Mm. from work and once I kind of thought about this, I was like, yes, that's 100% also what the game is about. And I actually, that's something that I think about a lot. And it's something that I kind of maybe even am a little bit obsessed by is the way in which our bodies reflect our lives, not just our memory, but our body is a kind of memory of life. And mm. and so then I'm like, oh, yeah, mm. but that's totally a big part of the game for me. And then the other obvious connection points are that, that I'm non-binary and I think the idea of being a per an indiscriminate person of some kind is very mm. attractive to me on some level but it's also kind of terrifying and that experience of kind of and then there's there's more you know in terms of depression i think my depression was the worst period of of my depression was when i was a teenager and uh, the way that i kind of learned to deal with that was by in a way like inserting a kind of break point in my head that said like i there's a point there was a point and then I passed that point and then from that point on I was a different person even if that's not true it was just the the only way that I could really live with my experiences because I couldn't have them be present to me and the other day I was kind of reading what people were saying and I was watching a let's play and hearing them read out it was it was Jack DeKeat who has a wonderful voice it's a composer and he has this wonderful voice and he was reading out the starting text of the game. become aware of on waking is the disconnect, the delay between thinking and feeling, between wanting to act and acting. Minor, almost imperceptible, but always present, unknown, where are you? And I was hearing it and I was like, this is a story about giving up on your past self or about saying like, I need I can't be, or my past self made me and I hate them or blame them or I have issues with the way in which I was as a person before because it begins with this idea of, you know, of there are memories, but are they mine? And somebody created me, I created myself in this moment. It's at its worst when waking, when yourself has spent many dark hours recalling what it felt like to be real, to be a person, to be in a body that was indisputably yours. I don't think of the body. You know, I was the one who, who signed up to be a sleeper. I was the one who signed up to have myself copied and become 
this kind of like offshoot that, that, you know, I've been abandoned by my creator, but my creator was me, you know, it wasn't, it's not some distant figure. It's literally me. How yeah. can I live with the fact that I would do that to myself? And so I think like the idea, how can I live with the fact that I would do that to myself is something that comes from somewhere very powerful for me, but I don't know if I was consciously kind of writing that really, you know, I think yeah. I just, I built the conditions in the world building that reflected that. And so the, the thing I'd say on top of this is, well, yeah, totally. It's totally a game about depression. It's very, it's also centrally, it's a game about being a sleeper and the specific conditions of being a sleeper, because in my mind, at least there's a difference between when you make something a kind of metaphor for something, and it's always kind of a shadow or a distortion of something. And when you kind of model something, but you try to, respect the world building like you take it very seriously what it would be like to be a sleeper and that comes with a lot of implications you know um in that fireside chat austin walker who was interviewing me brought up this great thing that i think is really important as well which is that the sleeper is constantly racialized they're visibly identifiable yeah, yeah. they are con people look at them and say i i know things about you because of how you look and they're, they're, uh, they can be abused by people because of this they can be also kind of like actively befriended by people because of this like it's not just kind of a racism it's also like people kind of like trying to account for how society treats them and so all of this stuff goes into like mm. writing the sleeper mm -hmm. but was i making an allegory for you know immigrant workers for depression for racialization no i i really wasn't trying to do that right. i was trying to think about the conditions um i'm trying to model those conditions and and i was also writing very you know kind of from my my head and my heart and my body and my experience, you know, trying to put that in the character and make them very real. Yeah. And to some extent, like, yes, like the degree to which you make a game, you know, explicitly about any of these things, it like makes it less universal in a way that is not super helpful for like, it feels like people would like everyone relates to not knowing what you're going to have to give and I sometimes I think like this, these categories of depression, anxiety really are just ways to articulate to people that you're responsible to why you're letting them down. <laughs> that, at least that's been the case practically for wow. me. Like I have, uh, I, I don't know. Does that resonate with you at no, all? Because that's like, a deep, yeah, that, it's a deep cut. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of like, I have to take a moment for that one. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just, just an excuse it's just an ex no I mean no I get it I, I totally get it I mean like I'm lucky I work for a workplace that that very much understands um like treats people like human beings and um and understands if I for instance I'm having a bad day uh it, the reality though is that it's it's hard to talk about it's hard to know how to talk about those things that reality that I'm struggling that I'm not able to produce <laughs> today yeah. or whatever without bringing up, you know, a mental health condition or. Yeah. That's why they're, they're useful and important, right? Those terms yeah. as well. They, they help us not only understand ourselves maybe a little bit, but also they help us kind of some, sometimes like help other people understand us, but sometimes just help us just flag to people, right. That like, this is a thing. And, right. and yeah, to be clear, like, I'm not saying that the game is not about these things. Yeah. I guess I'm, I, I think there's like a distinction between being about something and then also being a, because it's science fiction, because it's not a game. If it was a game set in, in reality, you could use exactly the same system and it would be kind of easier to say this game is about those specific things. But mm -hmm. because it's set in a fantasy world of some form, it's set in a kind of, yeah, like in a science fiction world, then I don't want to kind of get into that thing of like well the you know the the stabilizer is just hormones and right, the sleep right. you know like I, I i don't want to play that game because that's genuinely not how i how i wrote it and that's i think that's turned out well because i yeah there's something really powerful about people coming to me and saying like your game is about this and i can be like yeah it, it is but it's also mm -hmm. like it's incredible how this simple system and it is a relatively simple system of kind of yeah. 
what do I have to give? And then also the pressures um, speaks to so many people's experiences. And so what we all share is maybe not necessarily the dysfunction or whatever, the the kind of the, but it's maybe the structure that defines it, right? That's the thing yep. that we're all sharing here. We're, it, it doesn't really matter what's kind of stopping us being productive. It's the, it's the feeling that we must be productive. That is what we're, we're all connecting with. That's right. I, th- I think it is it is a little mind blowing. And one of the reasons I keep thinking about it is because it, the, the system is so simple, but so resonant. And, and I think maybe the reason for that is the world building and the narrative, right? Like the the degree to which I care about what is happening in the world and it's connecting with me in that way. I think the thing that s- continues to stick in my head and, and maybe has been most useful to me. I just keep coming back to the dice rolls, right? And and just this feeling of like not knowing what you're going to feel like being able to do, what you're how capable you're going to be the next day. Did you feel like that as you were making that game? Did you feel did you have these days where you rolled pure ones and oh, yeah. had to deal with that? Yeah, I mean, I'm, you know, I work solo basically. I mean, um mm. also have Amos the the composer um, and Guillaume does the art, but those guys, uh, they like, you know, they, they make that work and then I put it in the game. Uh, and so I communicate with them and they obviously they have a huge influence on the tone and the feel of the game, but I, I commission them and then I put the work in the game. So, um, and that means that I'm the person can, if I don't move, the game doesn't move basically. Like it's tied yeah. to me. It's it, it, the days that I work, like when I'm not working, when I have, when I have a day like that, when I have a day where I get nothing done or where I just come and stare at the computer screen all day and, and hate it, then the game doesn't progress. And when I have a day where I do two days work in a day, then it progresses. So yeah, I guess making the game was, was quite similar in a way to the system, but the difference is that I, um, because of the the success of my first game, which is not um, was not some kind of in the successes of video games in history, it's not a, even a, a blip. But because I'm um, a, just me, I'm I run pretty light, and uh, that meant yeah. that it was enough for me to keep going with support from my publisher. And so I kind of had a lot of freedom. And during another wars, I learned a lot about planning for myself and how to adapt to me as a person, like how mm-hmm. to become. A, not just a generic project manager, but to become a project manager for my specific brain. Um, and so I do a lot of putting things down and leaving them alone or moving everything out of my to-do list to the next day when I have a bad day or, mm-hmm. yeah, not like trying to basically shift the pressure as much as possible. Never to come in and sit in front of a screen and spend the whole day doing nothing and feeling bad about it. If I'm yeah. going to feel bad I'm I'm going to move everything off that day and I'm going to say I don't. Obviously you can't always do that, right? But yeah, I'm going to try to do that. But that's because I'm I'm screened and I'm protected for various reasons. And I think the thing with Citizen Sleeper is it's about what it feels like to have to be exposed to chance, right? Like yeah. that's how the dice play and that's what it feels. There's a direct correlation between having very little money and also struggling with depression or health Mm, or mm -hmm. disability and just like one of the main things it does to you in your life is it just makes you far more exposed to chance than a lot of other people and so while other people kind of look at life in a game form and kind of say like oh well you know if i if i work harder here then i get more here and that might be true in some cases but I think the more that you're exposed to risk, the less that becomes true. And the more you be count on kind of like unpredictable events, such as somebody offering you work out of nowhere or, um, it, but you're also exposed to bad events. I remember when I was really struggling as a student and I remember going and trying to get home with a travel card and I had just enough money on that travel card to, to make the trip. But when I touched it, there's a system in London where you get a, like an automatic fine if you didn't kind of touch the travel card in the right places. But sometimes it just happens. I don't know why, but at least it used to. And so it just took all the money off the travel card and didn't open the gate. And so I was oh just gosh. stuck. I had, I had My bank account was empty and I had no money on the travel card. And and that was it, right? I had to walk for like two hours across the city because um, because of that. And that to me, that's the feeling that I was thinking a lot about when I was working on this game is that feeling of being exposed to risk where even just a small error or mistake in a bigger system can be so destructive to you. And I guess I guess it's the same with depression, right? It's like sometimes or kind of mental health, you, you also experience this kind of 
receptivity to emotional events where one small thing might just set you off in a way that you then you then have to come back from and so you feel yeah. so exposed to the world you feel like an open wound yeah i think the thing that really sold the game to me was there's a person who who is starting they're basically they're basically i forget her name but she's an entrepreneur essentially she's starting her own thing right she's like working on ships oh bliss bliss yeah. yes bliss that's right and i really gravitated to that stuff because i i just love working with partners i i find that really satisfying and enjoyable and the next thing i know like I'm rolling ones like all the time and I'm screwing it up. I'm not prepared. I've got this dude coming and he's saying, can you do a good job this time? And I'm like, I don't, <laughs> I, don't <laughs> I will try. Uh, Cause I feel like the game doesn't even really let you back out. It's, it just, it sort of forces you to say, I uh, will see or something. And then yeah. no, once like, you're well, on that track, you're on that track. Yeah. Right. No, you, right. And so it resonated with me so much because, you know, I'm, I'm used to that feeling of like getting, gung-ho about a thing and then feeling like I'm letting them down. I'm letting them down. Just a lot of hyper anxiety around like I am letting them down. And so I, that resonated with me. I'm wondering like, have you always worked solo? Have you had those experiences with partners where you feel like, like you're struggling to meet expectations that they have? Yeah, totally. I mean, these, these days I'm, yeah, like I say, kind of like well protected in the sense because of, mm. of, I don't know, somehow making a game about a xenobiologist on an alien planet where you never see a single bit of water or a fish you just see in signals apparently that was a good move i don't know i don't know how that happened <laughs> i'm really still amazed that i'm here uh -huh. making an even more esoteric game but um i i used to work as a freelancer um designer a lot and mm -hmm. yeah like being a freelancer you kind of end up in that situation quite a lot i think where people are asking things from you and sometimes you're like really excited about them. And then sometimes you're like, I can't, no, I'm just, I can't do this. I can't actually. And there's sometimes that distance being a freelancer that doesn't allow you, that, that doesn't, um, unless you get away with it in a weird way, but you never, yeah. it's never particularly enjoyable, but you kind of, it's like, a, it's like you're having this really chaotic experience around a piece of work you have to do, but actually the person at the other end sometimes in the end is not actually registering any of that. So you can have this like complete <laughs> meltdown around things and mm. then you can just kind of like but from their perspective it's like well they just sent an email and then they got one back like a little later than they thought they would get one or whatever so mm -hmm. yeah that mm -hmm. that's weird and then yeah I, I worked like um uh before then I had a couple of periods um one period where I lost my job and another period when I came out of university where I just basically was signed up with like employment agencies and um they would you know that just having to be anywhere at the drop of a hat and huh. working weird jobs jobs that also like i was i was yeah like um i used to work in museums and basically i used to do that thing where you just stand in a museum but it's sometimes when you're agency staff and you get that job they basically agency staff are like a kind of lesser class of people that's mm. kind of how it works at most places mm. right it's like you're in to fill the gaps they've never met you before and they may never meet you again so you're just here they call you to a museum and you go to it Right. And they don't bother to put together a timetable that means you have like rotations or whatever. They're just like, no, you have to stand at this spot for eight hours today and you'll get breaks every, you know, two to three hours. But that's it. Your job is to be the person. And if the fire alarm goes off, you you tell everyone to go to the, uh, the fire exits. Obviously, that never happens. And otherwise, that's your job. <laughs> and so you spend mm -hmm. eight hours in a dark room watching people walk past you not actually being allowed to sit down because someone higher up decided that giving you know these people seats is messy and looks bad mm. um and you're just supposed to stand there and you know it, it's it's like a kind of form of of torture <laughs> My, right. minor form of torture but it definitely right. after a good few weeks of that you start to get a little bit crazy and so yeah i'm kind of uh, familiar with like both kind of being in situations where I'm just a body, where I was just a body, where I didn't, yeah. you know, there was nothing being asked of me and that sucked. And then times when like a lot is asked of you and you can't meet that. And then that also sucks. Um, yeah. And there, there's that disconnection too. Like you're, you're not meeting the person you're working for. You're just 
told to do a thing and then you do the thing. And th that actually happens with bliss a little bit where I wanted a full vibrant relationship with bliss. And instead I just get in an interaction with her friend or, or whoever. Um, and, and a little bit of a payoff at the end. Yeah. That was disappointing to me. Right. And I, I, I feel like it's so, so relatable in terms of like the ways that we can work with people over the internet, you know? Yeah. Uh, I mean, bliss yeah. is a super guarded person, at least this mm. And, and yes. she's been through kind of some shit, but unlike many mm -hmm. of the other characters, she's not going to like pour her heart out for you, basically. It's like, yeah, right. it's a, I'm a, yeah, sometimes, I don't know, sometimes these characters just tell me that's what they want, really. I don't, um, I don't necessarily intend for that to be the way, but uh, the way that I wrote this was, was, yeah, sometimes the characters would just be like, yeah, I'm not going to, I'm not actually going to tell. I, I I know the information. I know the information, but they're not going to tell the player. They just decided that they're not going to tell the player. Yeah, it's so good because it 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 just, it it's a kind of disconnect that can often happen and, and often throws me off as a, even in, in situations like this, right? Like when I'm interviewing someone and they feel guarded, that makes me feel bad. And if I make it about me, then I'm annoyed by that or or I'm depressed about that. I feel like I'm a bad interviewer or whatever. And sometimes it's just that person is actually struggling or has struggled in some way. And like, you have to kind of accept that and, and move on. It's just part of it. So yeah, uh, this, yeah. this is funny because it connects quite strongly to something that I decided early on in um, Citizen Sleeper, which is that I mm -hmm. was not going to model, I was going to model structural relationships, but I wasn't going to model social relationships. So huh. I originally kind of thought like maybe characters would have like a plus or minus rating with you where they kind of, where they said like, oh, you know, you can see, right. You can see on the mm -hmm. UI, like, oh, I gained two pluses with bliss or whatever. But very quickly, I was like, I don't actually have very much interest in, in doing that. I understand mm. why it functions, but I I felt like the, the writing, it meant that I would have like there's a certain inevitability to that which means that you have to be able to be everybody's friend and everybody's enemy which just <laughs> feels totally inauthentic to to experience yes. to me and so yeah i ended up kind of just letting the characters do do what they wanted to do and not model that and instead just have different characters occupy different kind of spaces you know that to try and have a variety of different interactions so that if players were like well actually i don't i don't want to interact with this person because i don't like idealists or whatever then it's like well the game will never make you do that you can just walk away like you can yeah. say okay i don't like fang he's too he's too gung-ho for me like i i don't want to deal with this this guy and that's kind of the mm -hmm. way I, I dealt with it so much of what you do between these two games and Heterotopius, your zine, is, uh, is about place, a sense of place and, and architecture and, and stuff like that. I, I'm curious, like, when you're feeling less than stellar, when you're feeling down, when you're feeling depressed, any of these things, where do you go? Is there a place that makes you feel better? As, as close as possible to rain, either in a video game or in real really? life. Wow. I'm a real I'm a very rain person. I think it's cuz I grew up in a very rainy, windy place, which is uh -huh. um the Orkney Islands uh to the north of Scotland um okay. and that's like a very exposed place um where it basically is windy or rainy like 80% of the year and then those other 10% mm -hmm. are like 10% snow in winter, 10% sun in summer. Um and yeah, like I'm super I actually have I have a I bought a vinyl recently that's just rain sounds like that's I would just go go put that on like that's the that's my my vibe I'm a rainy person that would be something I don't know if there's a specific place but I guess you say place but I would say atmospheres I guess like mm -hmm. I'm very atmosphere aware I don't know like I I care a lot about kind of the vibes of things and atmospheres of things and I get very obsessed or interested in them I, I when I was a, a teenager I, I started or just I had just like during uni like late uni I, I started writing a book about the corridors in all the basements that lead to the toilets uh in like places in London because London's such yeah. a weird city that's been built on top of so many times and so you go to a cafe and you go down the stairs at the back and then there'll be like a, the most insane and bizarrely shaped corridor and there'll be like 10 different doors and only one of them will be the toilet and the other nine will have like do not enter signs and will be blocked by a pile of boxes um and so i wanted to start like yeah trying to write this whole story about people who only existed in those spaces and not in any other space 
And I think that book is quite telling of kind of what I ended up doing generally, which is try and write stories about people who exist exist in weird atmospheres that are slightly atypical or kind of like, yeah, that the the atmosphere's a little a little out there or particular. Uh-huh. Is there is there an atmosphere that like throws you off that that causes your brain to spin out a little bit? I'm very I think like social, anything social, it doesn't spin me out, yeah. but I yeah. I like I just very um I I feel like like I step out of myself in the room and I step into the mm-hmm. I, I'm very sensitive to people and so I get really like hyped up like I'll probably, I have to go like lie down or something after this because also I do a lot mm-hmm. of podcasts like late at night or interviews late at night and then it's like I there's no way I can sleep for hours and hours and hours I just like yeah it's very involving for me to do social things and to do conversation so I feel I need to go and like take a take downtime after I. I have very intense social experiences, but I really love them. I love talking to people. Um, yeah, I, I've thought about about this a lot. It's made me more appreciative of of people like you coming on the show and being willing to talk about these things. Right? It's scary to know how much impact you can have on people and like how. Mm. What are the implications of that? What does it mean I should say to people before we start? And what are the allowances I should give to people? You know what I mean? It's funny that you've decided to make a podcast called Video Game Feelings, though. Like, given that, like, you're really putting yourself in your own danger zone there. (laughs) Well, it's true, though. These tend to be energizing for whatever reason. I think it may have to do with the fact that it's structuralized, for lack of a better term. (laughs) It's formalized, you know? It's, like, official, um, and it's supposed to be happening this way. And actually, like, one of the ways that I cope in real-life situations, when I I feel like I could feel uncomfortable, I... Instead, I'm like clicking into like, all right, I'm just doing an interview. (laughs) You know what I mean? I click into that mode very consciously. Like you were saying, I can, um, I don't know how you put it, but I can get out of my head, start viewing the situation in a very meta way and it's tiring. Yeah. Yeah. And that getting, I don't know. Yeah. Like that getting out of your head is quite, I guess it is quite connected to depression for me. Like I have a lot of Mm -hmm. depersonalization around depression. I think that's also kind of connected to yeah like weird stuff in the game not necessarily like content quote unquote in the game but yeah. more like yeah. how i describe things or i think i'm sometimes draw i i think i drew on some stuff from that when i was trying to describe what it's like to be a sleeper because i was yeah but yeah i was very curious about trying to dig into that but doing it through a slightly like where i don't have to talk about it being me or like being a, a a person as we know them and so it's like allows you to play this game of like how do i describe what it feels like to have a memory that you know isn't yours but it's also yours or what does it yeah. feel like to experience something but be aware that your experience is not necessarily the 100 percent experience that like like i have color i have some form of color blindness and um mm. it's like how do you describe color blindness right it's the same idea like how do you describe what it's like to experience less information but you don't have the the additional information that other people have. And so it's like, well, I can't describe the the, the absence of information. Like that's an impossible yeah. task. So yeah. but a fun one. Yeah. Sometimes when I finish a big project, I'll get really sad. I'll get really depressed. Has that happened for you yet? Yeah, I think I had I had this period already, probably. Um mm-hmm. I kind of finished Citizen Sleeper. I had a mad rush this at the start of this year to get it done because I yeah. set myself a very specific deadline. But then actually that was a that had a ton of contingency baked in and so I ended up finishing the game kind of well. I mean you have to with games anyway. You've probably heard this before, but like they have to go through mm-hmm. all sorts of processes. So you have to just take Sure. You have to just pass them on to like the, the, especially when you're on different platforms you have to just pass them on to people to check mm-hmm. them and testing and they suddenly get like further and further away from you in weird ways and and they just become an object like you can kind of just let that object run through the factory so I had a long break this time and I found that quite difficult because I was I also am quite impatient generally and I think that just like <laughs> yeah. waiting for the game to come out while also coming down from the intensity of like working a lot of hours and thinking constantly I mean I had I have vivid dreams quite a lot, especially when I'm depressed and I have a lot of ideas in dreams. But one of the weird things I got this time, which I'd never had before, which was that I dreamt a a bug into existence that doesn't exist in the game, but I fixed it while I was in the dream. And when I woke up in the morning, I realized that while that bug didn't exist, my fix would have fixed it had it existed. 
um, <laughs> which is, was like a terrifying realization that I, I had the entire oh, systems wow. of the game contained in my brain in a way that that's kind of terrifying so and you were working in your dreams as well well so the original design for citizen sleeper actually isolated all of the hacking stuff into the sleep part of the day so uh-huh. the original design system was which which was kind of yeah very strongly drawing from my experience of vivid dreaming um especially uh-huh. when you're depressed and like when you get vivid dreams and then it's like your dreams are almost because you're depressed in the daytime your dreams are like yeah. more real than your day experience or like the balance starts to get a bit too close for comfort. Um, And the, yeah, I think that that was a kind of design structure I was interested in, but I ended up dumping because it didn't, it didn't really necessarily work, but I like this idea of a character who kind of, yeah, was like working hard labor in the day or whatever, like working hard and then going to sleep and then like doing other things in the, in in the night, but then also that you'd have to kind of balance like, that version of the game was much more about trying to keep yourself balanced between the two rather than necessarily just keeping yourself alive. It's also like there are there are things in the night that are calling to you, right? And it's like you yes. can go with those things if you want to go with them or you can you can stay. And there's a little bit of that in the game, definitely. Uh, yeah. But that was much more the kind of the focus of it, of that early design idea. The last question is centered around something called the feelings wheel. The feelings wheel is a, a wheel that contains 84 emotions, and it's basically meant to help you identify what your specific emotions are. They sort of branch out from happy, sad, mad, all of the basic emotions. Sure. There are 82 on here. We're going to spin this, and then whatever we land on, I want you to tell me a video game that has made you feel this way. The emotion for today is unfocused. What is the <laughs> game that has made you feel unfocused? Yeah, I mean the the funny thing is that like the first thing that comes to my mind is 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 genuinely like is destiny sadly. I can't b- b- believe that I'm huh. going to talk about destiny twice, but it's just like yeah, this idea of in a way like a co- a system so complicated that you kind of it's like uh it's like a magic eye thing, you know, you have to like blur your focus in order to huh. see it. It's yeah. kind of like literally unfocused in the sense that like trying to be focused in in yes. that. But I yeah, I unfocused it depends what you mean by unfocused because so many video it, games make me feel unfocused about in a good it's way it's very open to interpretation and it, and it feels like one of those that that can't possibly be in a good way like like there are so many emotions that could be good but i'm not sure any video game would want you to feel oh, i disagree I, I okay f- i feel like i play a lot of video games to become unfocused because i'm i'm quite <sighs> i have a tendency to kind of fixate on things and become a little obsessed with with things as I might have implied up until this point, I think that like video games are quite good at letting you like go into a little bit of a dream state. Like I play Subnautica below zero and I, I've built a little base in that game called, they called it the whale room. And it's yeah. just like in the middle of a bit where there's loads of like space whales and there's like nice green stuff. And it's just like, you could just hang out there really. Like it's like a good place to just like load up the game and mm. chill out there and then kind of think like, wouldn't it be nice if I had an extension and then just like go and find the pieces for the extension and build an extension. So I tend to do that a lot. I do a lot of idling in games. I'm, I really like to just hang out in a in a very yeah. nice looking video game. So I'm, yeah, maybe I'm quite an unfocused player. I like that. I the Games serve the same function in a way that they distract me from being focused on stressful things but it's it's sort of like i need a counter focus i need mm-hmm. to focus on something else rogue legacy 2 is a game i've been playing that is so all over the place in terms of like what you can do and upgrade and stuff that i don't know i'm a little overwhelmed by it there's a lot of narrative there's like a weird amount of narrative elements in mm-hmm. that game that are distracting me from what i'm supposed to be doing to be honest, I don't love it. I it does keep me going. Like it's 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 a good loop in terms of like it's something that keeps me interested in the game. But um I I miss that feeling of like being sucked into it. It's interesting that you talk about like feeling unfocused in those games, like hangout spaces. How much of your game development, like your solo game development, is like a hangout space and how much of it feels like work. Like I'm, I'm curious if you have a sense of like which one of those functions it's filling for you. You mean making the games or the games? Yes. Themselves? Making actually making the game. Oh, it's total like 
I'm in the studio here and um, mm-hmm. my little box studio and it, it is just like a little place I can come and yeah mess around with things and like yeah sometimes you're working really hard but a lot of the time it is like it's a space where I can like focus on whatever I want and I guess I have a lot of freedom being a solo developer that I can kind of like play to my obsessions and no one's going to stop me from being like you know what it's really important that this game has mushrooms and mushroom farming in it even if it doesn't make sense to somebody else it makes sense to me so I can just follow that so I've learned to kind of Mm -hmm. just let my uh, obsessions guide me around a little bit and that seems to work because people seem to enjoy the result of me getting obsessed with something and then like digging into it and then putting something out that's what i also learned from being a critic but it's like a very focused hangout space right but it's easy for me to get sucked in it's easy for the time to just flip by as i work on things for so many of us citizen sleeper is just a little too relevant Too many people I know feel like they're sleepwalking through life, darting from one responsibility to another, just trying to hold their life, their communities, and the world together. And I think for many of us, this culminates in a kind of helpless cynicism. I think what surprised me most about Gareth was how distinct he felt from this kind of restlessness. At least in the short time I spent with them, I got the feeling they knew exactly who they were, what they were supposed to be doing, and how to do it. And I admit, this is likely because I was talking to Gareth about exactly one subject, their video game. And in a way, I think that's kind of the point. I don't think Gareth is all that different from the rest of us. Maybe the difference is that they're someone who has found one place where they can just be. They can do a lot of idling, chase their obsessions, and after a while, they can give us something beautiful. Citizen Sleeper is available now on PC, Mac, Xbox Game Pass, and Switch. Find out more about Gareth, Damian Martin, and their games over at jumpovertheage.com. There's links to all of this in the show notes. I would love to hear from you. What's a game that's made you feel unfocused? Tweet at us or send us a voice memo uh, to richard at areacodenetwork.com, and maybe it'll end up on the show. If you like this podcast, follow us on Twitter at vidgamefeelings. And of course, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Video Game Feelings is an Area Code production. You can find out more at areacodeaudio.com. It's produced, written, and hosted by me, Richard Clark. Associate producer is Ashley Whitehurst. Our theme music is by Bruce Holtman. This is an Area Code podcast.